Well, good morning. As I just mentioned, my name is Zach Kerr. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm actually the officially the next-gen pastor. Um, so you might be shocked or surprised that in this vision series that we're doing, uh, today we're going to be looking at our next-gen ministries. And one of the things you might be thinking, uh, we just read from Philippians 2. If you've been with us the past couple weeks or a few weeks, you might be thinking to yourself, didn't we do that text last week? Or why are we reading this text again? And I want to remind us that this is on purpose. There's intentionality behind that. And that is because of the importance of the embodied church that we've been talking about. And what we see in especially this uh, chapter of Philippians 2, uh, that Paul knew about the importance of the embodied church. Savior Jesus Christ, our embodied Savior Jesus Christ, and the Philippians knew about the importance of the embodied church as exemplified in their relationship between one another, between Paul and his church. So that is why we have been using that as a jumping off point for every sermon here in this series. So if you remember, we started a few weeks ago looking at how that's important for the gospel. Then we looked at the embodied church with uh, worship on a corporate uh, Sunday mornings like we're doing right now. Yesterday we heard about transformation and discipleship from John, and today we're going to look at what it means to be an embodied church for our next-gen ministries. So before I go any further, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we will press on. Dear Lord God, uh, thank you for your word. Thank you for scripture. More importantly, Lord, thank you for coming down to us, for taking on a body, for being fully human, uh, to save your people, to save your people whom you created as embodied people. God, Holy Spirit, work in our hearts this morning. Encourage us, exhort us, convict us uh, that we would live out as an embodied church um, what you have done and set as an example for us, but only by the power and grace of your Holy Spirit in us. And we pray this all in your son Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, my son Elisha is almost two. That means he's getting better about being able to sit for an extended period of time to read a book. You know, we're getting farther than like eight line poems. We can actually get through children's books and whatnot. And his favorite book right now is Sweet Dreams Jack Jack, which is of course based on the Incredibles movies from Disney. And if anyone knew Elisha, you know, when he was at church more often pre-COVID, it's kind of funny because he actually looked like Jack-Jack. He had a pointy spike in the back of his head for the first 12 months of his life. Um, but we've read this so much, I can recite the book to you from memory, which I'm about to do. I'm going to read a few pages from memory here. And it starts off like this. It says, this is Jack-Jack. He's a baby just like any other, except his family has superpowers. I have to do it in the voice I do to Elisha. That's just the only way it works. His dad can lift super heavy things. His mom can stretch super long. His sister can make super force fields. And his brother can run super fast. And together, they're the Incredibles. Turn the page. Jack-Jack's a baby just like any other. Or... I didn't memorize it. Jack-Jack doesn't have superpowers, or does he? All right, so the reason I recite all that, the reason I, I was doing that is because I was reading that book this week and thinking about that sermon, and it struck me how this book actually really talks about the two big takeaways that I want us as a church to walk away with when we're talking about our next-gen uh, ministries this morning. And the first one is this, that our next-gen are members of the embodied church right now, today. 
You know, Jack-Jack was a member of the Incredible Family, even as an infant, even before he was aware of his own superpowers, before the family was aware of what he could do. Jack-Jack was still an Incredible. He was born into that family. And we talk about being the family of God, and that means that everyone from the youngest to the oldest is a part of that embodied church right now. The second thing is that if we're all a part of the embodied church right now, is that your presence matters. So each of the Incredibles was important, right? If you've watched the movies, they kind of flesh that out in both of them where they try to fight the bad guy um, alone or maybe they're separated for an extended period of time. But ultimately, they need one another's presence, their giftings, their powers to be able to defeat the bad guy in the movie. So in a similar way for us, I want to say that your presence matters. Now, who am I referring to when I say your presence? Well, that's everyone. Toddlers, kids, youth. Because you're a part of the church now, your presence matters. In adults, your presence in the life of our next gen matter. It doesn't matter whether you're young adult, old, or elderly. Sorry. <laughs> uh, I don't Whoops. Um, Did not mean to be offensive there in any way. Um, It doesn't matter the age is what I'm trying to say. Your presence matters. Married, single, whether you're a parent or not. Maybe that's a question going into the sermon. Well, I don't have kids, so do I even need this sermon? No, your presence matters. And I would say, yes, I am really glad you're here, especially if you're not a parent. So we're going to flesh out these two concepts this morning. Our next gen are in the part of the embodied church now, and your presence matters. So that first point, our next gen are members of the embodied presence now, no matter the age. I want to look at uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, and then I'm going to go ahead and read our mission statement as a church. So Philippians 1, 1, if, if you can turn there, you don't have to. It's a short verse. It says, Paul and Timothy servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who were at Philippi. And then our our church mission statement reads this. We exist to pursue the restoration of peoples, communities, and cultures in the greater St. Louis area and around the world with the transforming power of the gospel. What am I getting at here? What's the question? Well, it's this. When I read those two lines, when I mention all the saints at Philippi, When I mentioned we exist to pursue the restoration of people, what group of people come to your mind? Who are you thinking about in that moment? My guess is, and I confess this as someone who's done it myself, is that kids and youth are oftentimes probably not a part of that visual picture. We'll naturally start to gravitate towards adults. But in both these statements, no age distinction is made. And if we think about the transforming power of the gospel, we would never say, oh, it's only if you're 18. It's only when you go to college. It's only when you move out of the house. It's only when you've passed the ACT or the SAT. No, we have to say the gospel is for everyone of all ages. And there's this interesting stat that came out in a magazine by Faith. If anyone's familiar with that, it's actually the yellow magazine out on the bookshelf if, when you're leaving if you were to... to look at it. But they have this statistic. It's this really interesting statistic that said about 48% of people say they place their faith in Christ by the time or before they turn 12. And that another 37% of people say they place their faith in Christ before the age of 20. So in other words, 
about 84% of people say they've placed their faith in Christ before they turn 20. That's our next-gen ministry. That next-gen ministry is everything from 12th grade down. With newborns, infants, toddlers, elementary youth. And it says that 84% have placed their faith in Christ before 20. And that's pretty powerful. And we have a privilege to come alongside and be a part of that as the embodied church. And of course, that's backed up in Scripture. How do we see God talking about children and kids and youth in Scripture? Well, we can go back to Genesis 12. God promised Abraham that all the families of the earth would be blessed through him. Family is a term that always includes multiple generations. He didn't say all the adults of the earth, once they've proved cognitive awareness and abstract thinking, therefore will be blessed through you. Genesis 17, to get more explicit, down to an eight-day-old baby, right? God's talking to Abraham. He gives him the covenant sign of circumcision as a mark to say, you are mine. But then he also tells Abraham, I want you to know that your children are also going to be mine. I will be their God too. He doesn't say, you know, super adult youth or anything like that. But he says that an eight-day-old child should receive the mark of circumcision, which promises that I will be your God. Of course, other scriptures, Jeremiah 1, God knew Jeremiah and the plans for Jeremiah before Jeremiah was born. Luke chapter 1, John the Baptist leaps in the womb of Elizabeth when Mary arrives with Jesus in the womb. They were not yet born, but already part of the family of God, had the indwelling Holy Spirit, could respond. Luke 18 and Matthew 18 are stories where Jesus interacts with little children. I love Luke 18 because it says that people were bringing infants to him. The disciples were like, what are you doing? They're like infants. They don't matter. Jesus rebukes them and says, no, bring them to me because to them belongs the kingdom of God. Matthew 18, he puts the child on his lap. He says, you must be like one of these children to inherit the kingdom of God. And a few verses later, he even says that these children, the little ones that are on my lap, their angels are always standing before the face of my father. God loves children. He considers our young ones, whether they are in the womb, eight days old, young kids, youth, a part of the family of God. And thus, we believe that the kids here in youth at Restoration are also members of this embodied church today. You know, we don't have to be uh, an adult to experience being sinned against. Many kids in here have already experienced tough times and hardship. You also don't have to be an adult to sin or to experience the consequences of sinning, whether that's a physical, tangible way um, or even spiritually, emotionally, a feeling guilt and shame and unworthy like you did something wrong. Our youngest kids can't experience both of those things. And to that extent then, when we come here to hear the gospel each Sunday morning, this is not just for adults. The good news of Jesus and what he has done for us is for people of all ages. So again, our next gen are included as a part of this embodied church, and they are part of the kingdom of God now. So therefore, kids, youth, I'm talking to you guys. I'm not just talking to the adults right now. If you are part of the embodied church, then your presence matters. Everyone of all ages, your presence matters. You know, you often hear this phrase, right, that it takes a village to raise a child. And of course, we could rephrase that in our context and say that it takes an embodied church community to raise up a disciple of Christ. 
But what about this focus of embodied? Why do we keep focusing on that? Well, three things about presence that I think, three subpoints per se, you could, about presence that I think are important to mention. For one, by being present, being an embodied church, you are showing intentionality. If you think back to the mission statement of our church that I read a bit ago, it says, we exist to pursue the restoration of people's, communities, cultures, and it goes on. But I want to focus on this word pursue. Pursue is an act of intentionality. It's a moving towards someone. We don't passively sit back and wait, but just as Christ came down and pursued us, becoming a servant, taking on a body, being incarnational, dying on the cross for us, we come down and pursue our next gen, right? It makes me think of a story or an example from Dawson. Dawson was the next gen director before me, for anyone who's new. And I'll never forget just like one gold tidbit of practical help that he said. I think it was like a Sunday morning ACE class that we had, and he was talking about next gen. And he said, do this. Just when you interact with our next gen, our kids, are you get on their level. Actually get down on one knee and talk to them. Get on the same eye level or close to it and have a conversation. And that really struck me, and the first person I actually tried this with was Elsie. If anyone knows Elsie, she was here in the first service, so she's not here right now. But it was right in front of our donut bagel area out in the foyer back when that was a thing, pre-COVID. And it was just this glorious moment where I was on her eye level. I don't know if it was impactful or not. You know, she hasn't told me. But um, I hope through those repetitive moments that really does build a connection and a relationship. And regardless, in terms of not just my presence, you know, coming down to her, but her presence of being at church and talking with me, that was a moment where I could slow down, be filled with gratitude, think about something as a simple joy of bagel and cream cheese, a bagel and a donut, which I would not have had uh, if I had not interacted with her and slowed down in the foyer during that time. So each person's presence matter, whether you are the youngest or the oldest, but the interaction and presence with one another is an important part of being part of the embodied church. Another reason presence is so important is because of the opportunity to be an example. Right? You may have heard that faith is often caught, not taught. That in other words, uh, our faith is often caught by example, not taught directly through verbal teaching. And Paul kind of gets at this basically with in Philippians 3.17. If you have Philippians open still, Philippians 3.17 reads like this. It says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keeping your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So Paul's reminding the church that your presence matters because seeing one another, we learn to imitate the godly example of the people around us. But even more so, in terms of regards to our next gen, it makes me think of Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. And that goes like this. It says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Or in other words, just as children imitate their earthly fathers or their earthly caregivers naturally, that's just what they do, we are also called to be imitations of our heavenly father just as beloved children. So the connection he's making is the fact that our next gen naturally imitate those around them. And so the importance of our presence with one another in our next gen ministries. I mean, why does Elisha love to vacuum and sweep right now? Which I hope he does for the next 16 years of his life. 
don't think he will. But right now, it's because he knows Annie and I love him, and he wants to naturally imitate us. He just does whatever we do. But our presence there matter. It makes me think of this also. If you guys have been around for a baptism at all in our church, um, you know that after we've asked the vows to the person being baptized, we then speak of, we ask a vow to the congregation, and you all respond with a we do. And the vow that we ask goes like this. It says, humbly relying on God's grace, do you, congregation, promise to help this child's parents bring him up in the admission of the Lord by striving to set a godly example, praying for and with him and teaching him the truths of the faith. That only happens by being an embodied church. Your presence matters because your presence helps to set a godly example. And one last sub-point about presence, and it's this vital component, presence is a vital component to healing and restoration. Not just spiritually, that we would say here, but holistically, spiritually and physically. The science of anyone's familiar with uh, the science of attachment theory. Right? I just recently finished a book called The Connected Parent. It's primarily focused on raising uh, children who have been adopted as they oftentimes have experienced hurt and pain and trauma at young ages. But I highly, highly recommend it for any parent, for anyone that's caring for kids, teachers. Obviously, we're all churchgoers surrounded by a bunch of next gen. I would recommend it as a resource to everyone in here. But one of the last qu the quotes on the final page of the book that's uh, from this doctor, this PhD in psychology, really struck me. And she said, Dr. Karen said, I've worked with children all over the world with varying degrees of trauma in their histories, and I've never yet seen a child who couldn't experience dramatic levels of hearing. And the greatest predictor of a child's capacity for healing is a safe, nurturing adult who can help them learn to trust. So I'm going to read that again. I've never yet seen a child who couldn't experience dramatic healing but the greatest predictor of a child's capacity for healing is a safe, nurturing adult who can help them learn to trust. And that requires embodied presence. So adults, your presence matters to our next gen. Our next gen at restoration are part of the family of God and our safe, nurturing, consistent, steadfast love via an embodied presence is the single greatest predictor to a child's capacity for healing, or I could say in our case, restoration. So how does all this play out practically at restoration? Those are kind of the big picture themes of how we view next-gen at restoration. How does that get worked out here? Well, broadly speaking, you could think of next-gen two ways. We have our res kids, which is fifth grade down, and then we also have our sixth through twelfth graders, our res youth. And COVID, as many of you have experienced, has uh, made next-gen ministry quite tough. It's pretty sad, and it, it, is, it should be sad. It's a loss that we haven't been able to exemplify this embodied presence as much as we would have loved to um, since COVID began. But we are excited to say that a piece of it is coming back next Sunday. We're starting up children's worship for ages three through second grade. Um, that went, uh, details of all that went out on the Friday email, the kids' email. If you didn't get that, let me know. But check that out as we look to start that next week. Um, but why do we have children's worship? Well, I want to step back and kind of say, too, whether it's children's worship, a nursery when it's safe to open that again, whether it's a youth event, 
none of these things are just meant to be babysitting or childcare to get kids out of the way so that the adults can focus. And you heard John talk about that last week. I just want to emphasize it again here that everything we do at the church is because we actually believe it contributes to our spiritual transformation and discipleship from our youngest to our oldest. So with regards to children's worship, we've learned from science that children are concrete learners. The way that the brain grows and changes and how they understand and perceive the world especially in those younger years of you know, birth through elementary, birth through youth, changes dramatically so quickly. So we offer children's worship in the same way that um, I wouldn't take out a physics textbook and ask that, that physics question to my first grader. Um, we like to have children's worship during the sermon uh, as we get to take kids and actually give them a gospel story that's age appropriate, developmentally appropriate, to help in their discipleship. And yet, at the same time, we love their presence in the service and how they learn to see the flow of worship. They actually get to experience baptisms. They get to see communion, to partake in communion. So that's why we have our kids in here in the beginning and why we bring them in at the end. We don't just drop them off at the door when you walk through as an adult. Now, what about for our upper elementary? Um, we'll s start off by saying... Right now, it's just next week, it's changing kids to be an upper elementary children's bulletin since we're having kids worship. And to be honest, we want to do more. We plan to do more. Um, we hope to have children's worship for upper elementary uh, coming soon. Um, but just space and resources right now, that's not going to open next Sunday. But I think it's an example, a perfect example of where the embodied church can come around um, and love that group of kids here whether engaging them, talking with them about how their week was, did they take anything away from the sermon, but actually creating a connection so that they're not just off sitting while the adults are talking in between service or before service or after service. That's a great opportunity to be an embodied church. What about our youth? Well, our youth meet once a week. We've got a variety of things that go on there. We have big groups. We're serving the community. We're, having, we're launching small groups this year, which we've never done before. Super stoked to be having that at people's houses, gender specific, and really hoping that sitting in the word with smaller groups, um, that we would have that vulnerability and discipleship that we long for, that we might miss out on, on big groups. But we also believe that our God is fun, right? He's a fun God. He created play. So we do things both in our res kids and our res youth that create those opportunities like movie nights or white elephant Christmas parties, um, karaoke in, in October for our youth. But one of the other things that I'm really excited about as we've been talking about the embodied church is the fact that we believe members, or everyone in our next gen, is members now. So starting with our res youth this semester is getting them really involved on Sunday mornings. I've been reaching out to a lot of youth via text, asking them like, hey, would you be interested in doing an AV team, welcome team? Uh, children's worship, etc. We just saw Alethea come up here and read the text, which was awesome. Tucker's playing cajones today. I see Luke here too. Luke plays cajones sometimes. And I haven't had any youth turn me down yet. No youth has said, no, I don't feel like it, or I'm too busy. And it's such an encouraging experience to reach out to them and to see them come alongside uh, and be a part of this embodied church that we long to do and long to be an example of. But all these things are just structural framework, right? So what we want to happen, what we hope happens, is that we build a safe, loving relationships that allow for trust and discipleship to take place so that our next gen, regardless of age, become lifelong, or they are lifelong followers of Christ. And this only happens by being an embodied church. This only happens with our presence, by showing up on Sunday, by being a part of next gen ministry, by volunteering in various ways. I was thinking about 
as we're you know starting to launch a lot of things this semester uh, since COVID you know changed all that. And if we were to have nursery open and children's worship for all the ages that we would like and youth, a minimum healthy, safe environment would require 15 adults on a Sunday. Now, hopefully, you know, we don't want to burn out and so we like to go through monthly rotations, but when you think about that, not counting Sunday school, we would need at least 60 adults for a healthy, embodied church in our next-gen ministries. And something that I think is, is beautiful about what God creates in that experience is we've been talking about the importance of being an embodied church and living that out and the amount of opportunity that you get in next-gen. It's not like it's something that's super important, but we only need one person, right? This is actually an awesome privilege where we get to make an impact on eternity, that these kids who will be with us in the new heavens and the new earth are being poured into now, and that is something very cool, uh, I think, to be a part of. So in closing, remember that we exist to pursue the restoration of people, communities, and cultures in the greater St. Louis area and around the world with the transforming power of the gospel. We believe that as intentional presence, that our kids are and our youth and our toddlers are a part of those fr that phrase right now. They are part of the people who receive the transforming power of the gospel. Uh, and our presence for everyone matters. And I want to end with thinking about this story that I think exemplifies uh, both of these themes that have been played out. And it's a story that's actually um, in our church happening right now, which is super cool. If you were part of our youth luncheon last week, you got a taste of it and you heard it, but I'll, I'll flesh out the story a little bit longer here. Uh, four or five years ago, there was a senior youth girl named Jordan um, who decided that she wanted to sacrifice her time and be an embodied church member for our middle school girls. And so she took it upon herself to, to pick a, a study and to gather them, host them at her house, um, to pour into them. Each, I think it was like every two weeks maybe, every week. Um, but it was her senior year, so she left, and that, and that was kind of the end of it. And I ended up calling her three months ago, uh, to, as she's a senior in college now, I said, hey, tell me more about this, what happened? Um, because we actually have a high school youth girl right now, Karis, who wants to do that, if you remember Karis in your group. And she was shocked. She's like, wow, I didn't think anything was happening. I didn't think it mattered. I mean, I had fun, but you know, she went off to college and that was the end of it. But Karis was so impacted by her presence and her embodied, embodied uh, embodiment there and pouring into them that she wants to do that now for our middle school girls. And then another person who was a part of that group who's in our youth was Sophia Liu. She was a sixth grader at the time. She's a junior now in high school. And so Karis hit her up and was like, hey, remember that time when we did this Bible study and how great it was? Like, do you want to do that this year for our middle school girls? And Sophia was like, of course I do. Yes, let's do it. And it's this beautiful example where they weren't adults, right? It was people in our next gen who really had a transforming experience with the gospel and then we're carrying that out by being present with other people and discipling them. And that happened because the embodied church poured into Jordan and the embodied church poured into the person who poured into Jordan. And now Karis and Sophia are pouring into our middle school girls and we hope that they continue to pour in to the next generation. But it is such a beautiful example of getting at what we've been saying all morning, that everyone here, regardless of age, is a part of the church now and that your presence matters. It's what we believe our restoration, it's what we hope we do, and it's what we hope we live out. All right, let's pray. Dear God, thank you for your gospel. As we've talked about the gospel 
of the embodied church or the body church the reality lord that you pursued us that you took on a body that you sacrificed died for us on the cross to pay for our sins may we live out of that grace may we live out of the power of your spirit to be that today not just uh for adults here but from the youngest to the oldest toddlers elementary and youth be with us as we do that lord let me pray this in your son's name amen